Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day to my wife, the wonderful mother of my three snot-nosed kids. I don't say that to be mean. They are literally snot-nosed right now thanks to pollen and allergy season. And from what I can gather during prayers this morning, a lot of us are um, struggling with that today. So let us fellowship with one another and join in one congregational sniffle. Three, two, one. All right, now that we've got that out of our system, let's turn to the scriptures this morning. Everybody feel much clearer now, right? I do. That, that actually helped. <clears throat> so this morning is our last lesson in the Gospels. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Um, but as we continue in our journey through God's Word in 2018, we have come to the end of the Gospel of John as, uh, you know, Acts 1 was the tail end of our reading this week. Um, and so we're going to start getting into the Acts of the Apostles and the Holy Spirit and, of course, uh, getting into the letters um, later on as well. But uh, I'm sure because it's all tied to the Gospel that we will come back to the Gospel accounts at some point. Um, but as we kind of wrap up our time in the Gospels, I want to I turn our eyes to Jesus and His final days on the cross and, and on this earth. And as, as Kit mentioned, and, and as we just heard in our, our scripture reading there, even as death was imminent, he knew that the time was almost there. And in fact, a few verses after that, Jesus gave up his spirit and died. But as death was on his doorstep, or as he was on death's doorstep, I guess, he still showed incredible care and love for his mother. And that's my Mother's Day message for all of you with mothers. It doesn't matter what kind of life you're going through, what pressures you're going through, what stresses you're going through, your mother always deserves your love and your care because, after all, she gave it to you. So as we turn to the final days here of Jesus' life, by looking at, uh, we're going to look at a harmony of all the gospel accounts. We're not just going to focus on John, but we're going to look at all of them. Um, and last week, um, actually two weeks ago, uh, my bulletin note uh, was on the triumphant entry, or the triumphal entry, depending on how your Bible words it. Um, and this morning we're going to kind of take a closer look at that. I find the triumphant entry very interesting and intriguing in, in terms of, of what Jesus shows us in that in, in that time. So uh, to do that, we're, we're going to start uh, and we're going to look at two scriptures uh, looking at Jesus heading into Jerusalem. What happens leading up to Jesus going into Jerusalem? Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 20. So we're going to start there. Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Now, turn over to Luke chapter 19. That's mine too. Luke 19, 41 through 44 here. And we're going to come back to this chapter and this verse uh, a little bit later. 
Uh, but again, as we're setting the scene, as Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem, Luke 19, starting at 41, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And we can clearly see that in the, the final days of our Lord, they were filled with stress. From these comments that he makes here on the road toward Jerusalem to the, the time in the garden and the pain and the stress that he uh, experiences there, we know that it was a stressful time. But that's not where it stops. Stress continues to come at Jesus from several different angles, one after another. Pressure-packed situation, they just kept coming. But it was under that stress that Jesus maintains exemplary composure. He continued to calmly communicate with people. Communicating with people in times of stress is one difficult thing that Jesus accomplished, but He did so calmly. He completed His mission. The mission that He had been given by God, He completed it, even though He was under great stress. And even in the face of all of this, He continued to trust His Heavenly Father. You see, Jesus is the perfect example of how to handle stress and the, per- and, and, and the, uh, the pressures of life. Pressure that we put on ourselves, And sometimes uh, these pressures are external as well. So maybe this is a Mother's Day sermon, right? Moms deal with stress all the time. So do dads. We all deal with stress and pressures of life. But how do we handle it? Well, we've got to look to Jesus as how He handled stress and the pressures of life. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. Jesus is our example, and we need that model. Because we also face stress every day. We need help coping with stress. Amen? I think we all find ourselves in these situations day in and day out. And we think there's no end to this stress. There's no end to the worry. There's no, no end to the things that keep coming at me. One thing after another. Wouldn't you love to be able to handle the pressures of life and continue to let your light shine in the meantime? Well, let's turn our eyes to Jesus as He steps into the spotlight. He takes center stage. He came to lead people to God, to seek and save the lost, right? One can't lead people if they're not seen and if they can't be heard. Jesus accepted His role as Savior, and He did so willingly. And He stepped out of heaven... And He brought the light with Him into a dark world in order to bring salvation for those who would follow Him. We talked about that a few weeks ago as well. But being in the spotlight brings great pressure. Jesus Himself was the spotlight, if you will. But being in the proverbial spotlight, it brings pressure. 
It's like being a fish in a fishbowl. You're the only fish in the fishbowl, and everybody's looking at you. Remember the scene from Finding Nemo, where the fish are in the fish tank in the dentist's office, and that creepy kid comes up to the glass, and it's like, hi, and it's like pounding on the glass? That's what pressures of life feel like sometimes, don't it? Everybody's looking at you, everybody's picking on you and banging on the glass of your fishbowl. See, as Christians, as the light of the world, as we're supposed to be, as Jesus himself was the light, people are watching. And they're not necessarily watching just to watch, but they're watching and waiting for you to lose your influence, for you to fall short, so that they can take that opportunity to discredit you. And the same thing went for Jesus. But even in those times, Jesus remained responsible and accountable to the tasks that he had been given. And those are both great traits of a true leader. When Jesus said that we are the light of the world, he explained the need and the responsibility of stepping into his light and reflecting it to the world. The world needs that light. It is a dark world without it. It's a responsibility that means we too need to lead people to God and make a positive difference in the world that we live in. When Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, he took center stage, the spotlight shining brightly. All eyes are on Jesus. You see, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him. Turn over to the Gospel account of Mark. Chapter 8, we'll start there. We're going to listen to a a couple of things that Jesus said uh, regarding this. We're going to start in Mark 8, verse 31. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Go ahead one more chapter. Same verse in chapter 9, verse 31. For Jesus was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Now turn over one more chapter to Mark 10, verse 33 and 34. Jesus here speaking, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Three chapters in a row and three times seemingly the exact same thing that he is telling his disciples. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He said what was going to happen, and in hindsight, as we look to the end of the the story, we know that it did happen. But even though he knew that it was all going to happen, he went anyway. That is courage. We talked a little bit this morning about courage and fear and what true leaders do in the face of fear is show courage. Think about it. If you knew what was waiting for you tomorrow, 
Let's say tomorrow death is waiting for you. Abuse, mocking, severe beating, the ripping of your flesh, the ripping of your beard from your face, if you have a beard. If you knew all of that was going to happen when you went to Chick-fil-A, would you still go? See, Jesus knew all those things were going to happen, but not only did he go, he enters the city in this magnificent and marvelous way. Jesus could have taken a back way into Jerusalem. He could have snuck into the back streets, you know, and not not dealt with the crowds and just avoided all of the attention. But instead, he trots in on a donkey right through the main gate right in front of everybody. Why did he do this? Luke 9, verse 53 says, He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Meaning, he had purpose. He was driven. He was going to do it. My face is toward Jerusalem. That is my mission, and that is where I am going. So why did he do all of this? Well, he did it because he was set on serving others, on on helping others, making that positive contribution to mankind. He did this also because of the satisfaction of knowing that he was doing the will of his Father. And he also did it because there's great joy in being able to look back and knowing that he did his best. What about us? What about you? Sometimes we may avoid serving others, as Adam talked about last week. We may avoid serving others or avoid spreading the gospel because of the fear of rejection, the fear of persecution. Several fears that could impact us. And we could take the easy way out and we could avoid it. We could take the back roads and avoid it. Or we can look to Jesus' example of being courageous so that someday we may be able to look back as Jesus did and find joy in knowing that we did our best. You see, Paul did the same thing as well. talks about being able to look back and know that he did not work in vain. Another trait of a great leader is humility. Jesus accepted his responsibility of of being the Savior of the world, but he also handled it with great humility. And now let's look at what leads up to the triumphant entry. He's coming into the city. What happens just before that? Look over at John chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now, if you look back just a a few verses before that in, in John chapter 12, we see the account of the raising of Lazarus. Actually, it's in, it's in chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. So the raising of Lazarus 
increased not only Jesus' popularity, but it increased his status as a leader. Because of Lazarus, and the fact that Lazarus had died and was walking around living just fine again, people were coming, they were coming to Jesus. That's what upset the Pharisees here. The chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus because of the fact that he was walking around healthy and happy and living. People were going away and believing in Jesus. What snakes? Because what happens if they kill Lazarus? Well, then they can go out and say, Lazarus isn't alive. He's dead. See? They're trying to discredit Jesus. Now let's continue here. Look in uh, verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, if we take what was just said in verse 11, that many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus, we can then infer that in verse 12, that the large crowd that had come to the feast were also believing in Jesus. They heard that he was coming to Jerusalem, and they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus is entering the city during the Passover feast. The Passover feast for Jerusalem is much like Easter for churches. It's the time when so many people come and fill up the city. By the way, Mother's Day, if you didn't know, is the number one most attended church service outside of Christmas and Easter. You know what the least attended service is of the year? Father's Day. So fathers, make plans to be here on Father's Day. Not fishing. You can go after. All right, anyways. The Passover time is a time of great population within the city. And this is when Jesus enters into the city. All those people that were there. All of these people who are hearing the great things that Jesus is doing. And the wonderful thing that he had just done by raising a man from the dead. And that word is spreading like wildfire throughout the streets of Jerusalem. You want to talk about great timing. This is a great time to enter into the city. So all these people, they came to honor and praise this leader. They called him the King of Israel. Now the last, uh, last three verses uh, that we just read there talk about Christ's fulfillment of the prophecy as well, of entering the city in the way that he did that fulfilled prophecy. Had Jesus taken a back way into the city, he wouldn't have fulfilled this prophecy. You see, Jesus accepted their praise. He didn't scold or rebuke them. He maintained humility in accepting their praise. You see, as a king, and they called Jesus king of Israel. As a king, Jesus didn't go send his subjects. He didn't send his disciples to go out and die in his place. Instead, he went out to die for his subjects. Subjects, by the way, that he called family. Who are my brothers and sisters and mother? 
Philippians 2, verse 8, Paul says, And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Yesterday in our men's Bible study, we talked about humility. About how our humble beginnings on this earth as mankind started at just mere dust. Jesus came down from heaven and humbled himself and took on human form, lived in the darkness of the world and faced every, uh, every temptation, every trial that we could face. And this is one of them. One of the most dangerous and difficult things about leadership is praise. I speak from experience on this because I struggle with praise. I struggle with how to respond to it. Um, I, I, I don't know why. I feel like sometimes humility may come across as, as arrogance. But I struggle with, with how to respond to praise to a job well done. I've, I've resorted to just a simple thank you and walking away as quickly as possible so there's nothing else can, can, can come out of it. But if you're a leader in, in any way, maybe a, a, a boss or a business owner or, or perhaps you're a leader amongst your group of friends, <laughs> praise is a difficult thing because of what it can lead to without humility. You see, praise didn't hurt Jesus or divert his focus. It could have. It very well could have. But he was grounded. Right? Look back at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. You know, we talk about how Jesus faced every temptation that has uh, faced man. And, and I would almost equate the temptation in the wilderness with Satan to what happens as Jesus enters into the city. As he is being praised and lauded in the streets. Hail, Hosanna, King of Israel. Jesus could have just stood up and said, yes, I am the king of Israel. Let me hear it. Yeah. And now he's riding in on a donkey. He accepted their praise with humility. These people exalted him. But it's through this exaltation that he would become humble. Or he would be humbled, I should say. These same people that are standing in the street saying, Hail Jesus, are probably many of them, some of the same ones that will later, in a few hours, say, Nail Jesus to the cross. Through all of it, though, not only did Christ remain humble, but He shows incredible maturity. When Jesus stepped into the spotlight, there were many there, who didn't approve of where he was and in, in the position that he was holding himself to and the position that others were holding him to. Look at Luke 19 again. This is where we were earlier. Luke 19. We're going to start in 39 this time. Verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him. Now, remember Luke 19. I'll turn over there in my Bible here.
So as Jesus, the triumphant entry in, in Luke 19 starts in verse 28. So Jesus is coming into the town, and seemingly here there are some Pharisees that are in the, in the crowd, and they shout out to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Why should he rebuke them? Well, in verse 38, they're saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And of course, what we saw earlier is, Hosanna, King of Israel. I'm sure the crowd was shouting many different things, but whatever they were shouting, the Pharisees didn't like it. They said, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Verse 41, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So Jesus there, by the way, is looking ahead to the destruction of the city of Jerusalem in AD 70, a prophecy that he is speaking there. He's weeping over the city because they are failing to see the Savior is there. Some did see it. But the leaders were rebuking them for seeing it. Jesus said that even if they weren't, the stones would be crying out. One of the most dangerous things, as we mentioned before, is that praise and how it affects us. And maturity takes Leadership steps in. And a great leader, a marvelous king, not only must show the humility that is required, but they must rise above the criticism that comes as well. Because on, the, on both ends you have praise and you have criticism. And how you handle praise with humility is one thing, but how you handle criticism is another thing. It takes amazing maturity to rise above criticism. You see, Jesus is motivated by love, but yet He is realistic about people. He knew that He would be despised and rejected, but He still not only went to the city, but He wept over the city. These people that were about to beat Him and kill Him He cried for them. He wept for them. He cared and He loved them. He knew what was coming for that city because of their lack of faith. But even still, even still, how amazing is our Lord that He would sacrifice Himself even for those who reject Him. See, that's the definition of mercy, grace, and love. And we see that in Christ. Jesus was successful in stepping out into the spotlight by being lifted up to die on the cross. It's one thing to stand and sing the national anthem, but it's another to join the military. It's another to raise your hand and say, I volunteer to go and fight and defend this country and that flag. 
You see, it's one thing to bow our head and tip our hat to God, but it's another to commit your life to joining His army. We should walk through life with humility and maturity and be motivated by love as we strive to live like Jesus by stepping out into His spotlight and reflecting it into the world. We should... We should walk through this life knowing that God has provided something much better than anything this world has to offer. Jesus is enough. You see, when we face stresses and the pressures of this life, those things are caused by the world, things around us. And we put so much emphasis and so much focus and time into caring about what the world thinks, about fitting into the world, about making these things right and getting these stresses off of us. See, our humble, mature, courageous, and loving King has already fought the fight, and He's won. That's the good news. All those stresses and the cares cast your burdens on Him. Because He cares for you. 1 Peter 2, 21-25 For to this you have been called, because Jesus Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. This morning, Dave in class mentioned the sin of worry. And worry is one of those things that helps lead to stress. But we have a shepherd. We are his sheep. He is the overseer of the soul, of our souls. And it's by his wounds that we have been healed. All the pain, the affliction, the the pressures and the stress of this life, we are told that in heaven there will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain because Jesus took them all away. If you've not committed your life to Him, then what's holding you back? Is it pride? See, the alternate of pride is humility. We need to humble ourselves to the One who is the definition of humility and obey His commands and join Him in His death, burial, and resurrection by putting on Christ in baptism. If you're here this morning and if you're struggling with the pressures and the stresses of life, how can we pray for you? How can we as a church, as a congregation, as a family, that's who we are, how can we help you? If we can assist you with any of these things this morning, we're about to sing a song of invitation and give you the opportunity to come forward and make those requests known Let us pray for you. Let us assist you in any way that we can while we stand and sing.